0: So in the series, Refresh, that's been focused on spring cleaning, cleaning out your lives, uh, focusing our lives, uh, doing the work in our lives now so that our next season, we're set, right? Well, this week for me, my spring cleaning, and uh, I took it to a whole nother level. Uh, I finally broke down and gave in to the professionals. I uh, drove down to Bellingham Mower Services. Uh, and, and inquired about putting my mower in there on the two week waiting list to get it started this year have yet to get my mower started this year to really get on uh, this spring uh, cleaning myself. The guy was great. It's across the street from Wade King Elementary. Uh, it was the first thing on the hit closest to Sudden Valley for somebody who'd work on a mower. Uh, but it was after I'd done all the work myself. I'd gone in there, I'd taken the carburetor off, I'd taken the fuel bowl off, and filtered it all out of there. Uh, and then I finally just gave in and said, you know what, I need help. Which, you know, ultimately could have been a message in this series as well, when it comes to the spring cleaning of our lives. I think God actually designed for us to do this together. Uh, as a church and as individuals to actually have people come alongside us that, that, uh, that know in, uh, or have been th- through certain things in their lives and can speak into our lives uh, directly. But uh, it won't be this series. I'm sure it will be in a message coming up. But uh, for us, this series is, is, is uh, coming, to a, coming to a close with this last message and this last uh, challenge I have for you. Um, of which has kind of been woven in in all of the teachings that we've had uh, for these past few weeks as we've looked at this. We've looked at how to uh, each week we've taken a point of teaching personally. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for the church? And then what does this mean for us in reaching others? And we've looked at some great content in this series uh, if you've been here, you know it. If you haven't, we, I mean, we looked at uh, what it means to really know Jesus and the difference between knowing him and following him. Uh, we looked at uh, grace. We looked at, man, if we could understand God's grace better, we could, we could live, that, live, that, live grace out in our lives better. We looked at joy uh, a little bit last week and in, in the things that steal our joy, our joy stealers, uh, and, and then how we deal with those. And then one week we actually looked at our neighbors and how we should treat them, right? Uh, Even if they are the joy stealers in our lives, we're still called to treat them a certain way. And so this week, and this is the deal, church, I want want to put it for you this way this week. Uh, The idea of making my yard look nicer, the idea of getting on your spring cleaning and and cleaning up the outside of your yard or purging and going through your closets on all that kind of stuff— is, is, is a great idea. It's a great theory to do every year. But it doesn't happen unless we actually go out and do the work. If we actually put in the time and the energy and, 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 and really uh, do it in our lives. right? Spring cleaning. My, my yard isn't going to get done the way I wanted it to get done until I can get my mower started, right? Until I can get out there and, 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 and get on it. And so the same thing is true for our lives and the, and the things that we've look, been looking at over these last few weeks. They've been great concepts, God's grace and joy and, and, and what we're called to do in this idea of go out and make disciples and, and not only disciples, but disciples making disciples is the call for us. All that is great theory. But until we put it into practice, that's all it is. It's just good theory. And, and, I, and I'll tell you what, there is plenty of theory out in the world for people to sift through. And so if we take it to that next step, if we don't apply these things to our lives, it's just theory and nobody else's, I mean, everybody's got theories and ideas on different things and, and how to live. But if we actually practice it, believe it, and implement it in our lives, that's what's, what one will give us what we desire, and two is what's attractive to other people that we actually believe it. So uh, th- th- this week I um, I did some investigation, and so the question for us this week is: Do we believe it, uh, or is it or is it just theory? It, is life in Christ a theory? Or a practice? Practice being that we've put it into practice and we know it to be true and we believe it and we're, and, and, and that's the way we live our lives. By God's grace, by his joy, by his love, by the, the truths that we look at every single week. Is it a theory or is it a practice? And in, and in doing this, I, I kind of got, kind of, railroaded into a study that I was doing on the decline of the church, whether it's happening or not. I I believe that it is happening here in the U.S. I believe that it's not happening anywhere else. I think the church is exploding in countries all over the world. But I really thought about it, and so I got into this study of Generations. The different generations, the four most recent generations specifically, and, and 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 how the church has evolved through those. And so, just for fun, uh, I looked up the four last generations, and I and I and, and again, this isn't this is just straight from from the internet, which everything on the internet is true, right? So, um, so in my in my studying on over these generations. So, uh, if you were born between 1922 and 1945. You're a traditionalist, it said, or the silent generation. This generation is pre-feminism. This is where women stayed at home. They didn't work. This is what's thought to be the richest, most free-spending retirees uh, generation. Uh, The gravest thing that the teachers uh, faced in this generation was uh, chewing gum and passing notes in class. Uh, That's their big, like, oh, you know, don't chew gum in class. Don't pass notes. So what about 1946 to 64? Raise your hand if you were born in that generation. 46 to 64, a good handful of you. So this is the baby boomer generation, right? This is labeled the baby boomer generation. Uh, This is when World War II ended uh, and all the troops came home uh, and they realized just how much they loved their spouses and they had a bunch of babies, all right. Right. They walked off the ship and, and, and suddenly nine months later, there was a big boom in babies. Right. They're labeled as a self-focused generation. This was the first generation that accepted divorce. Um, this is a generation that's optimistic but driven in it. So what about 1965 to 1980? 1965 to 1980, so another good handful of you. Uh, this was Generation X. This was what's labeled the latchkey generation. You've heard that comment before. This is an entrepreneurial generation, individualistic. This is a career changing generation. This is, on average, they changed careers seven times during their working, their working years. This was a late to marry, quick to divorce. This was what's labeled as the MTV generation, right? I fall into this generation. Uh, And this was a generation that was suspicious of organization, right? And then there was 1981 to 2000s, 1981 to 2000. Whoa, here we go. This is great. Actually, this is not, it wasn't as big as I thought it was. So this is the millennials, right? Gen Y generation, all right? This was, uh, and again, I'm not defining the majority of the people in the room so I don't get in trouble, but this was the nurtured by their parents generation. This was, but in this generation, there also showed to be falling crime rate, falling teen pregnancy rate in this generation, right? A generation that has great expectations for themselves, Um, This is a generation that has unlimited access to information. And because of that, they have very strong views, right? Right? (laughs) This is also a generation that doesn't live to work. A lot of the other generations, they live to work, to drive themselves through their work. And so I was investigating all these generations, and I thought, well, man, I mean, the future of the church is in these generations that are new, that are coming up. And so I picked up an article about millennials uh, in the church uh, and why there's a pretty heavy drop off of church involvement, of which it was the majority of the people in this room for us, so may not apply exactly to us. But this is a study done by George Barna. Uh, if you don't know the Barna group, this is a group that specializes in the study of religious beliefs and behaviors in Americans uh, in the intersection of faith and culture. All right, and they're far in the forefront of the study of, this, of of faith and culture and, 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 and what's going on within the, within the church. And in this study, it was, this is what was said about this, uh, this generation, that there was, it was between two and three out of 10 Americans under the age of 30 didn't even think that church was worthwhile or important to attend, All right? And the majority of the people said things like, uh, I find God elsewhere, it's not relevant to me, it's boring, Or, get this, God is missing in the church. God is missing in the church. And I'm like, man. The study also stated that uh, perhaps it's more concerning that two-thirds of millennials believe that American churchgoers are a lot or somewhat hypocritical. right? And and this comes from a generation that prides itself to be able to smell fake-out from ten paces. Right? And this is, this is a worrisome indictment, I think, for the church. And so what they do want is they want a local church that wants to live out faith and actively reach into their community. And, and, and quite frankly, based on these studies, they aren't seeing it. They aren't seeing it. An active church that lives it out. Part of the study uses images and questions and, I mean, just really dives into many different ways to, to come to this. But th- their conclusion was that the generation thought that uh, church was aggressive, that it was judgmental, that it was highly critical, and that, uh, it, it, that it was a religion that states how it is and how it should be more than lives it out. The church isn't living it out. And so I, 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 I took that to heart, and I thought, man, is that us? Is that us as a church? I don't think so. I don't think so. So may, you may be off the hook for this, but there's a lot of stuff in here that we can, we can look at and learn from. I think for me, what it did for me, it caused me to, to look at me. Look at me in my life and how I live it out. And then, it, and then I obviously went to us. Like, look at us as a church and, and where we're at Are we a church that in theory is the church? Like we're, I mean, in theory, it's good theory what we're supposed to do, but are we really doing it? Are we making it a practice? And again, this is this is theories based on some data that was gathered by this Barna group, which is highly reputable. So, but but what if we allowed, what if we allowed, what if we allowed this to sink in a little bit and and then we changed the truth or we changed this data as a church, as a community. We, we, we took a look at it and we put into practice in our context, context the opposite of this theory. That we were a church that really lives it out. That actually puts into practice the truths of God that we hear uh, every Sunday morning. What if we redefined or supported our own truth, biblical truth? That, that when it came to our lives, that we would actually be disciples who, in turn, were discipling other people. Last week, we heard from Andrew, uh, and Andrew, when he was teaching, he introed uh, Paul for us. The idea of Paul, and um, he entered the story where Paul, uh, bef- he had the, the resume of Paul before uh, he encountered Jesus on Damascus, and then afterwards, and, and how his life changed before he lived a certain way, and then afterwards, he was all, all for Christ. And uh, we heard out of Philippians last week, uh, a letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi that Paul, he clearly laid out this, this way of life. And I think, uh, and I I believe that it's all, it's it's in all of Paul's writings, this way of life that we're called uh, to live, disciples that we're reaching out to disciples, others. Um, And and what I want to do today is I want to parallel another letter that Paul wrote. uh, And and he wrote it to uh, the Church of Thessalonica, Thessalonians. uh, And I want to parallel that with the book of Acts. And if you don't know the book of Acts, the book of Acts is uh, a story of the, of the new church when it's rising up and it's first forming and taking roots and taking off. And because, because the, the book of Acts was thought to be authored by Luke and Acts is actually of that time period the, the most uh, historically uh, correct book of that time of what was going on. And if you lay those two books over the top of each other, it's kind of cool. You get, you get a glimpse into the day-to-day of what was going on during that time, and it becomes really informative. So, I want to start uh, in First Thessalonians uh, chapter one, verses two and three, as we as we start this. It says, and this is Paul writing to this church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. He says, "We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers." Remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, this is the opening address that Paul titles this letter to uh, the Thessalonians with. And and, and in the beginning of this, we see that Paul addresses things that he had seen them do things that have been lived out, and it's, it's, they're great attributes of God. They're actually very action-based. They're not good theory or ideas. If you look at it, it's faith, uh, work produced by faith, labor by love, and endurance through hope. And Paul is saying to them, this is what I have seen in you. And we'll get into it more as as Paul spent time with them there to to instill these things in, in them. But Paul, in starting this letter, says, this is what I have seen in you. That their faith, their work by faith, right? That their faith had, like Paul, completely changed their lives. Paul encountered Christ on that road to Damascus, and his life after that was completely changed. It completely changed their lives as well. And they had worked in their lives and for the gospel now, and Paul recognized it by their faith in Christ. Their work by faith. They also labored by love. So they had love for God, and because of that love, they had a new love for all people. And I love the wording that is used here when it says, they labored by love. Because Paul, in this idea, had spent time with them, and this was a huge concept for them, this new church, this new way that everybody was to be loved and everybody was to be accepted. And they labored through this with Paul. I'm, I'm sure many meetings and meals and, and discussing this idea and many teachings from Paul. And Paul saying, I'm seeing this lived out in their lives. And it's, and it's the same for us today. That we're actually called to live this out in our lives. The love of everyone. And then there was endurance by hope. This is the hope that they needed because they faced real opposition, right? They faced people coming in behind them or to their face saying that they were wrong. They were persecuted by many. And I don't know about you. I haven't had somebody stand in my face and just be like, you're wrong. You're wrong about Jesus. And that's not even real. I mean, that's just somebody's opinion. But they were actually persecuted for it. But they endured it by hope. And this hope that Christ offers to them and he offers to us is, is one of the greatest things that you, can, that you can take hold of and understand and implement in your life. Because all of us, man, there's something in our life that we're hoping for, that we need, uh, need to uh, live out in our lives. And for them, they, they were faced with some tough stuff. And, and just as you are, you might be faced with some tough stuff, but the hope that we have in Christ is much greater than anything. Anything that we're facing in our lives. So these, these Thessalonians, in us too, we have this charge to take a look at even just these three things. And these are three of the greatest things that, are, uh, that, that can be seen in our faith in Christ, in, in, in our life in Christ. It's faith in something other than ourselves, love like no one else stands out to many, and hope during the toughest of times. And right at the beginning of this letter that Paul writes it he addresses it as more than theory that he sees that it's put into practice in their lives. And so for us, I believe that theory becomes discipleship when it's lived out. Theory, good theory becomes discipleship when it's lived out in our lives. It was for them and it is Uh, for us, and it is for all. It becomes truth in our lives. 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, pick it up at verse 4, says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report the kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned from turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now we're going to get into this verse a little bit, but I want to parallel this time period and where they're at in Macedonia and the the, uh, the the influence they had of this time and we're going to jump to Acts 20. Now the verse is going to not be up there I don't think. I'm just going to read through 1 through 12 but listen to the same area in Luke recording what Paul's doing. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. Same area. He traveled through the area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arriving in Greece, where he stayed for three months, because some Jews had plotted against him just as uh, he was about to set sail for Syria. He decided to go back through Macedonia, and he was accompanied by... Uh, Sopater, son of uh, Perros in Beria, uh, Aristarchus uh, Ari and uh, Secundus from, Thessala- th- from Thessalonica, Gaios from Derby; Timothy also, uh, Chai- Tychios uh, from Trophimus, in the, right? I mean, those words, right? I mean, those names. That was pretty good, though. You got to give me that. That was pretty good. Um, and and uh, they went and waited for them at Teros. And they sailed to Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread. And five days later, they joined the others in Trohas, uh, where they stayed for seven days. So they're traveling in that same area. They're interacting. Paul's brought his boys, his disciples with them. Uh, and this is the area that's, uh, that the letter is referencing uh, to the Thessalonians. And Paul really has his disciples there with a purpose. And the purpose was to disciple them and then to also disciple others share the gospel with them. And we get to see Paul's heart and actually even his, uh, his, his theory or the way or the recipe of which he uh, did it when, when we jump here into verse seven. But before we go into verse seven, uh, how many of you think uh, I'm often long-winded? Just one. Thanks, Ben. Um, no, but, but this is great. I want to set the stage for And I don't know specifically why this is in here, but I think I can draw a little bit of a conclusion. All right, verse seven. On the first day of the week, they came together to break bread. This is Paul and his buddies. Uh, Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking till midnight. Does that scare you guys? I mean, if you think I'm long-winded, Paul planned to preach until midnight. So we've got you know, uh, 13 hours that we're going to hang out here. All right. Uh, there were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. So he had set it up for light. There wasn't an issue. Uh, they, were, they were set for the long haul. Seated in the, in the window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Okay. I know when you guys are closing your eyes, you're just actually taking the message in and you're like really wanting to connect with it. And I understand that that's what you guys are doing. But this actually says that he had fallen into a deep sleep. Uh, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. So picture this. Paul's preaching in this room. A guy's sitting there listening and he falls asleep during Paul's sermon. Falls out a window to what... Looks like his death on the outside. All right, here we go. It's in the Bible. Like, it's in there. All right, this is good Bible. All right, uh, when he was sound asleep, he fell through the window and he picked up dead. Paul went down, he threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him, said, Don't be alarmed, he said, he is alive. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread, and ate. And after talking until daylight, so now he went way past midnight, he felt like he needed to hang out with him longer, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted that Paul's sermon was over. (laughs) I added that Paul's sermon was over. I think they were greatly comforted that the guy was still alive. But, uh, and I don't know specifically why that's in here. I think if we look into what we're going to look at just after this, later on in Acts 20, we actually get to see that... Paul is, or Luke is recording that Paul wasn't that good of a preacher, and actually, maybe one of the best, but uh, in this, they're saying that it's more than just a message, it's more than just preaching and teaching on a Sunday morning, Uh, it's more than just coming and listening and then leaving, um, because uh, we see this funny story in here, but I think it applies Uh, to us as well. You hear me often say the value of what I say on Sunday mornings is is little compared to what we can do throughout the week. So if we jump now into Acts 20, verses 17 through 21. Uh, For Miletus, Paul sent from Ephesus for the elders of the church. And they arrived. He said to them, you know how I have lived the whole time I was with you. So Paul engaged with them. That's what that says. Paul actually lived amongst them, and he says, you know how I live my life. He didn't just show up at, at, in the room at night to teach his lesson and then slip out the back door. Like, he lived with them. He says, you know the, you know I lived the, how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility, with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of the Jewish opponents you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly in from house to house. So Paul spent time going house to house, interacting with people, inserting himself in their lives, as probably did all of his his people that he had brought with him. All of his disciples, they did this. I have declared both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance, and have faith in our Lord Jesus. More than, faith in our Lord Jesus, that's what it is, but it's more than Sunday. It's actually lived out with them. That they actually saw the way Paul lived. That Paul went house to house, that his disciples went house to house. The early church, they were interconnected relationally to a level that I don't don't even know that we understand. I mean, we get it. I love hearing how much you guys get together and, and break bread and, and build relationships with each other, but I don't even think it, 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 it pales in comparison to the way that they did it back then. See, I think what, uh, what a generation needs to hear, what all the people need to hear, uh, I think it is refreshing when we genuinely care and are fully engaged with people where we, are gen- we genuinely care for others and we're fully engaged with them. Not we just block out some time and get it over with and check it off the list, but we actually care for other people and we actually engage them in their lives. It's the most effective Right, if we go back to that first verse I read in in Thessalonians 4, 9, it says this. You know how I lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us. This isn't the verse in Acts. This is actually in Thessalonians. Uh, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. They became imitators of Paul and his disciples, it says. That's what it says in there. But because of that, became imitators of Christ. Because Paul and his disciples at that time had what? Made Christ the most important thing in their lives. Paul, when he was uh, approached on the road and his disciples, as they learned from him, they, they inserted Christ a number one. And because of that, when the, when the people, and it's recorded in, in, in this letter, that when the people interacted with Paul and his buddies, they became imitators of what they brought, but then also came to know the Lord because that was the most important thing then in verse seven, it says, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, your faith in God has come, has become known everywhere. Man, what if that was said of us? That the way we lived, the way we genuinely cared for people, the way we fully engaged with people, that people would just talk of us, CTK, Sudden Valley, or the church, however you want to look at it, that that the faith in Christ was known everywhere. I mean, I think we got plenty of work done just to be known in Sudden Valley, or Glenhaven, or Geneva, Alabama Hill. I mean, wherever you come from. We got plenty of work there, let alone everywhere. And it's recorded here in Thessalonians from Paul that, that their faith is, be, been talk, been, is being talked about everywhere. For they themselves report what kind of a reception you gave us. They tell how you turn from God, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's amazing. I pray for that to be what is said about us every day. I think we're off to a good start as a church, but it's just the beginning. We're just scratching the surface. If we jump ahead to chapter 2 in in the same letter uh, from Paul in in Thessalonians, um, it says this. And this parallels this this faith, uh, love, and hope you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without result. We had previously suffered and been treated uh, outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell tell you his gospel and face strong opposition. And so this is, I mean, they were faced with opposition, but they pressed forward to still share this. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. That's work by faith. That with their faith, faith, Paul had faced uh, slanderous accusations uh, of the work that he was doing. And the letter here is setting straight, although uh, it's meant plenty personally for Paul, it's more so the development of the faith in Thessalonica. Paul's sharing this because of its tremendous importance. Right? The word that's used in there for vain is kenos, which is actually the meaning of it is real and purposeful. So Paul and his disciples had taken it to heart, the work that they had to do by their faith. His faith in the gospel was real. And then in verse 7 and 8 in chapter 2, instead, we were like children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Now, I want to stop there because verse 7 says, instead, we were like children among you. And then it immediately jumps into a a great word picture that we're going to look at. But right there at the beginning, that's two separate actual uh, uh, purposes in in that first verse. Instead, we were like children among you, as Paul's saying, we were equal to you. That we are not elevated at all. We were just like children among you. And then he goes into this analogy. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. And Paul further defines his care for these people. The importance of the care and, and genuine care that he had for them. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Equal We're equal to you and we care for you. That's a big message that we can share with anybody. Over the past few weeks, I've had the opportunity to look into people's eyes and say, God doesn't think any more of me than he does of you. And I'm a pastor, I am of no more value to God than you are. And that's powerful. We're equal and I care for you. That's why I do what I do. Labor by love. Verse nine. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, your toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be burdened to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so God for uh, how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Do you believe that you are righteous and blameless? There's only one route to that and that's through the work that Christ did on the cross and it's through that work that we have this hope that he's talking about. The endurance through hope. Endurance by hope and access to his kingdom. The hope we have in where God is calling us to. And so as we look at those three last ideas, work by faith, labor by love, and endurance by hope, I want you to hear this because this is actually going to be scary for you. Discipleship and what we've been talking about in spring cleaning and, and what we're doing in our lives, discipleship is addition and multiplication. Oftentimes, I don't want to scare people away from doing something because of how busy you are right? As we shared with earlier, we're busy with friends and family and work and all this kind of stuff. But I want to tell you the cost of discipleship and the cost of living this out that Paul said, this work by faith, labor by love and endurance by hope, it's addition. It's adding things to your life. but in Acts and in Thessalonians and in Philippians and in Rome. I mean, all these things. Those, that's the truth that we gain when we add these things to our lives. Is a life that has uh, grace and love and hope and, 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 and endurance through all that we face. We understand those things more. And it's only by that addition. So I'm not gonna stand up here and say, you know what, you know, if you just do this one thing, I mean, just 15 minutes in the morning of prayer or reading your Bible. Tell you what, that's not going to do it. It's a mindset in a way you live your life. It takes addition, some serious addition in work. And I don't want that to scare you because what's produced in the end is greater than anything you will ever experience. For you personally on this earth, and eternally through all the lives that you impact. And it's multiplication because not only are you adding these things to your lives, but then you pull people along. If you add these things to your life, people are grabbing a hold of your life, and they want to be involved in it. They want to interact with you. They want to see what you have, and they desire that. And that's the multiplication piece. So I'd leave you with, it's both the easiest And the hardest thing to do, to take on this mindset of discipleship and pursuit of what Christ has for you.